Have you ever been bullied for your faith? Maybe criticized for it? Somebody made fun of you because, quote, you were supposed to be the perfect Christian? Maybe it wasn't even that. Maybe you're a Christian, but people don't take you seriously. Maybe people tease about you and that you're, oh, you're such a Christian. Maybe you consider yourself religious, or maybe you don't. And maybe that word's been thrown around in society, religion, as a bad thing. Like the Bible, some book of rules, and you're some hard-nosed, unaccepting person because you've never looked into it. But Jesus predicted this in the end times. And he said that no one's going to treat us differently than they treated Jesus. Why would somebody treat the servants different than their master? When it comes to today, there's this societal view that Protestants have it easiest in the United States. Especially if you're white. Like for me, I happen to be. And I'm sure that lots of us happen to be that. In fact, Washington University came out with a study saying that we had it the easiest and... I simply disagree with the study. Being somebody who's been bullied for my faith, teased about it in school for many different reasons, I know for a fact that the study is a complete sham. And if you're anything like me, you're constantly oppressed for your faith. So if you're feeling that way today, then today we're going to look at Exodus and how Jesus, when it came to the Israelites and how they were oppressed, was able to bless them in the midst of their suffering. If you'd like to hear more about it today, stay tuned. This is Katie Thomas on Being Bold. If you're being oppressed, there's hope. Why is there hope? Because you have Jesus. And I know that on this podcast, I've talked a lot about my other little series I've been doing, The Apostate Beliefs, and talking about beliefs that are in the church or that are in society about Christianity that simply aren't true. But today we're going to look at something different in a new little series called The Extraordinary extravagant, the Exodus. The reason we're going to look at Exodus is because Exodus is a story of where God delivered the Israelites and God kept his promise that he had made. And the most interesting thing about Exodus is how much it can apply to our lives in looking at the all-amazing God we have and how the same God that delivered the Israelites out of Egypt thousands of years ago is able to deliver us out of our circumstances today. And we're going to look at it chapter by chapter. Today, we're going to look at chapter 1. In fact, in my Bible, it's titled, Israel Oppressed in Egypt. And the point that we're looking about today is that a lot of us Christians are oppressed in today's society. Like I talked about in my intro, we're bullied, we're said we have it easy, we're said that we're the people of higher class, and how we're the discriminatory, hard-nosed Christians. In fact, a lot of people, at least in my life I've experienced, don't like the idea of the Christian who sticks to the Bible because somehow we follow a ginormous book of rules. And because of these beliefs that society has, it can be hard to be that Christian and hold to God's true word. But that's no different than how it's been in history. It's not like all of a sudden the United States, specifically, there's this big problem. And though it may be getting worse, these problems have existed in the past, and they definitely existed in Egypt. And actually, we're going to look at chapter 1, like I said. But before we do, I want to look at Genesis. We want to look at Genesis. It's chapter 50. We're going to look at Joseph's death. Now, if you know anything about Joseph, Joseph had a very high position in Egypt. And he was taken into slavery into Egypt and basically worked his way up to where he was a very big leader. And there's a whole story about how he had a dream, how his brother sold him into slavery, and just a lot of interesting things happened. But Joseph knew that God had had a promise. And in in chapter 50, verse 22 starts. It says, Joseph and his father's household remained in Egypt. Joseph lived 110 years. 
He saw Ephraim's sons to the third generation, the sons of Manasseh, son Mechir, were, were recognized by Joseph. Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up from this land to the land he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Joseph made the sons of Israel take an oath. When God comes to your aid, you are to carry my bones up from there. Joseph died at the age of 110. They embalmed him and placed him in a coffin in Egypt. That's how the whole book of Genesis ends. And I think it's important for us to look at this because what it notes is that God made a promise. God made a promise that they're going to take them from the land of Egypt to another land. And obviously this never happened in Joseph's days, which is why he made everybody take an oath to carry his bones to the promised land. So the Israelites, they're in Egypt. And Egypt is one of the most powerful empires in this time. It's the most powerful kingdom. It's got a strong economic system. There's just a lot of things going on. So then we jump to Exodus. Exodus skips a lot of time, lots and lots of years, like hundreds of years. And the thing is, we're going to start in chapter one when it says Israel is oppressed in Egypt. And today we're going to look at three main things when it comes to oppression, obedience, and the blessing of God. So if we're going to start in chapter one, let's see, it says, there are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Each came with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, God, and Asher. And I want to point out something. These names in the Bible are really hard to read. I am really interested to know how these names were said, if they were said differently because it was a different culture, or if any of us trying to pronounce them, pronouncing them right. So if I'm pronouncing anything wrong, feel free to message me the pronunciation of these names because I know that they're really hard to read. And I'm sure a lot of you also don't know how to pronounce them. But we're going to jump back in verse 5. The total number of Jacob's descendants was 70. Jake, Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful, increased rapidly, multiplied, and became extremely numerous so that the land was filled with them. A new king who had not known Joseph came to power in Egypt. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. Let us deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further, and if war breaks out, they may join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So the Egyptians assigned taskmakers over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pithom and Ramesses as supply cities for Pharaoh, but the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. They worked the Israelites ruthlessly and made their lives bitter with difficult labor in brick and mortar and all kinds of field work. They ruthlessly imposed all this work on them. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Sifra and the other Pua, When you help the Hebrew woman give birth, observe them as they deliver. If the child is a son, kill him, but if it's a daughter, she may live. The Hebrew midwives, however, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had told them. They let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this and let the boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before a midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very numerous. Since the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Pharaoh then commanded all his people, You must throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile, but let every daughter live. So that's chapter one of Exodus. It's a really interesting story. And honestly, the funniest thing to me about the story is the midwives. Like, can you imagine the midwives? They're going up to one of the most powerful figures, political figures in that whole region of the world. And they say to him, 
The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before a midwife can get to them. I don't know about you, but that's just, that's just funny to me. That they just looked at Pharaoh and told him, we couldn't get there in time. So, today we're going to look at three main points. Once again, dealing with oppression, obedience, and the blessing of God. And so the first thing I want you to know, if you're looking and taking notes, is when we are oppressed, God does not leave our situation. So the Israelites, they're being oppressed in Egypt. And what a lot of scholars say is that the Egyptians were afraid of the Israelites because the land that was between them and their enemies belonged to the Israelites. That was their land. And they believed that if war broke out, the Israelites were going to go to their land and support the enemy. And because of this, the Egyptians were really afraid of the Israelites. They were really afraid, and they didn't know what to do with them. <coughs> Excuse me. They didn't know what to do with them. So what we find is that Pharaoh and the Egyptian government comes down on the Israelites and just begins to make them slaves, begins to work them ruthlessly. It says, in fact, in verse 8, a new king who had not known Joseph came to power in Egypt. So the first thing I want to know is this king obviously did not understand why the Israelites were there, or if he did, he had no respect for Joseph. And this shows just how long it had been after Joseph had died that this had happened. Because Joseph was a very big political figure in Egypt. I mean, he saved them from famine. He interpreted dreams. He was just a very powerful person just by the grace of God and by God's will. You know, God had a plan for Joseph and he just, he was awesome. But the Pharaoh, the, the king, had no idea who this guy was. So the fact that the Israelites were not seen as, you know, Joseph's people or that political figure is really interesting. There's no respect for this political figure in the past. Well, he came to power in Egypt. In verse 9, it says, He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. That's bad because if war breaks out, they don't want them overpowering the Egyptian empire kingdom that was there at the time. Let us deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further. If war breaks out, they may join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. They built two supply cities. So this is some real hard labor. labor. They're not just doing some chores. And, you know, they're not even doing what the slaves in the United States did um, back during the time of the Civil War and before then. Like, these people are, like, hardcore slaves. They're building cities. They're doing the work that, honestly, in some areas of the world, we look at as, like, ancient buildings, ancient artifacts, and we're like, wow, they're doing that kind of work. And they built two cities. And it says in verse 12, But the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. They worked the Israelites ruthlessly and made their lives bitter with difficult labor and brick mortar and all kinds of field work and imposed this work on them. When we are oppressed, God does not leave our situation. How do we know that from the scripture? We know that because the more and more the Israelite people were oppressed, the more and more they had to work with mortar and brick and building things and in the fields. And when we're talking about this, we're not, we're not talking about, you know, Egyptians standing around saying, all right, guys, start working. I mean, they ruthlessly worked them. And we can imagine that if somebody wasn't complying, they were probably beaten. They were probably torn down. There were a lot of things going on, a lot of just terrible stuff. But the thing was, the more, it says in verse 12, but the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread out. So the Egyptians came to dread them. Whenever they were being oppressed, God was still there. They multiplied even more. They came about even more. As if to say, the oppression that's going on is not going to win. 
God had a plan for the Israelites. He had a will for the Israelites. He had a promise that even Joseph knew about years before this happened. And the Israelites here were not beaten down. They multiplied even more. God did not leave them. God was still there. And what we find from this is that when God was there, he allowed his people to still thrive to the point where the Egyptians just got more frustrated. So their plan A, let's, let's enslave them. Plan A didn't work, which is why plan B comes up. Plan B, we're going to throw all the boys into the Nile. And if you're anything like me, you're probably wondering why the boys? Why the boys? Why not the girls? Or why not all the babies? Like, why not the Egyptians? Why not we just get rid of all the Israelite babies? Have you ever wondered this question? Scholars believe that the reason that they threw the boys into the Nile was specifically because the Israelite men would be the ones to fight if a war happened. And a lot of scholars say that because of this fear of the Israelite men being powerful and strong and overtaking their form of government, that's why they threw the boys into the Nile rather than the girls. Because the girls weren't going to be the ones taking up and fighting and if a war happened. They weren't the head of the household. There were a lot of things. It was the boys that were important rather than just all the babies. So what we find is that they begin to throw the babies into the Nile. So this is kind of their plan B. And we see that you know, even though this happened, God was still there. And there were the Israelites, you know, they feared God. They, you know, it was, it was their God. It wasn't the God of Egypt. And that's also probably part of why it was so strange to the Egyptians was that, you know, they, they worship different gods, but the God of the Israelites, their God was with them. Same God we have today. So just know, first off, that when we are oppressed, God does not leave our situation. And he didn't leave the Israelite situation. We can see that because they multiplied even more and more. But the second thing I want you to see today is too. When we are oppressed, we must be obedient to the will of God. And we can find this starting in verse 15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Sifra and the other Pua, when you help the Hebrew women give birth, observe them as they deliver. If the child is a son, kill him. But if it's a daughter, she may live. So here they're going to throw all the boys into the Nile. They're going to say, you know, once and for all, we're going to get rid of the powerful. They're multiplying even more and more. And because of that multiplying that's happening, we got to stop that somehow. But these Hebrew midwives, however, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had told them. They let the boys live. And the thing I want to point out about these Hebrew women is that for them to do this, it kind of goes in line with the theme of this whole podcast. They're being bold. I mean, standing up to bullies at school for Christ, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty big thing. Imagine standing up to somebody who has complete and utter rule over the land, has the power of life and death over you, and could ultimately punish you and kill you for disobeying. That's, what, that's who they're dealing with. So these Hebrew midwives were asked... The king actually said to them, if it's a boy, kill it. And the midwives, knowing God and fearing God and knowing the God that they served, decided to not do that. And this is a big deal because these women were being oppressed. Their husbands were working in the fields. Their people were being oppressed. And it would be really easy to have some kind of favor with Pharaoh, you know, for favor to look at least somewhat favorably upon them for what they're doing throwing in boys into the Nile, getting rid of the problem. There would be some kind of favor on these women. But they feared God even more than they feared the most powerful person in the time that this was going on. 
In verse 17, the Hebrew wives, however, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had told them they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt, you know, he found this out. Some of the midwives and asked them, why have you done this and let the boys live? And I can imagine Pharaoh wasn't casually asking them. I'm, I'm sure Pharaoh wasn't like, why have you done this? Why, why, why are the boys still living? I mean, whenever I imagine the king of Egypt, <coughs> excuse me, I imagine just somebody being absolutely mad. Considering that Pharaoh was already really upset and feared the Israelites were going to take over. I can I can imagine because there are these boys that are living that that fear is growing that the Hebrew midwives can't even obey him. This is a problem for Pharaoh. So in 18, so the king summoned them and asked them that question. Verse 19 it says the midwives said to Pharaoh, "The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before a midwife can get to them." Sorry, guys, I'm just coughing today. It's not a good day. The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. Now, they didn't make excuses for Pharaoh. They they didn't, you know, cave in. They didn't go off and start killing the boys. They weren't even afraid because these people boldly said to Pharaoh, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women for they are vigorous and give birth before a midwife can get to them. You have to, you have to think about what this means. I mean... What they're saying at face value could be true. But part of me wonders if these midwives didn't get there in time in order so that way they wouldn't be responsible for throwing these babies into the Nile. I mean, the fact that they have the story about them just giving birth before they can get to them is just really interesting to me. Because they refuse to kill these babies to such an extent that they stand up to Pharaoh and they say this. It's fascinating how bold that they are. But they're obedient to the Lord, even though they were oppressed. And even though the Israelites were, you know, not in favor of the Egyptian government, when these women had a chance to be in favor by obeying Pharaoh and doing the work of Egypt, they said no. And they did the work of God because they feared God and they knew it wasn't the heart of God to let his people be thrown into the Nile and die at the hands of Hebrew women. They knew that. And that's why they feared God. So two, whenever you're oppressed, if we learn from these midwives, when we are oppressed, we must be obedient to the Lord. Because as it says in the Bible, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And that is clear for the Israelites of this day. Literally, they were coming to steal babies, kill, and destroy their futures in the Nile on a more literal basis. That's what the enemy wanted. That's, that would have snuffed out God's plan for the Israelites if all of them had been thrown into the Nile, if there wasn't some purpose, if the enemy had just completely taken control and had what he wanted, then this would have been the case. But the Hebrew midwives knew God's plan. And that's what's so amazing to me is they were oppressed, but they were still obedient to the Lord. Which leads me to the third point that I have today, that when we are obedient and oppressed, we are blessed. And I did not mean for those to rhyme, but I find that very, very catchy. When we are obedient and oppressed, we are blessed. So when we look to the scripture, verses 20 and 22. 20 says, So God was good to the midwives, and they multiplied and became very numerous. Since the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Pharaoh then commanded all his people, You must throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile, but let every daughter live. Verse 20, so God was good to the midwives. God had favor with the midwives. 
God did because God saw that they had honored his will rather than caving in to what Egypt would have had them done. The midwives knew they didn't need Pharaoh's favor because they had God on their side and God showed them favor. He was good to them. The people multiplied. The people continued to multiply because just like with the first point, when they were oppressed, God did not leave their situation. God honored the fact that they were still seeking him and that they were his people set aside for a purpose. So then we look and it says that in 21, since the midwives feared God, he gave them families. This is the biggest thing. These women were blessed with families. They were blessed in the midst of this oppression. God honored what they did and gave them families. This is a huge, huge, huge deal because especially in the midst of what was going on where the children were being thrown into the Nile, where kids were being discouraged to be born, God honored these people and was able to give them families. He didn't forget about the midwives' needs. He didn't forget about the plans that he had for the midwives. And when they honored God, he blessed them. When they honored what his will was, that he blessed them. In 22, it says, Pharaoh then commanded to all his people, you must throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile, but let every daughter live. This completely put the situation into the enemy's hands. This completely put the situation into the Egyptians' hands. They weren't asking Hebrews to do this. Pharaoh knew the Hebrews weren't going to because the Hebrews, the Israelites, were a people of God. They were God's people set aside for a purpose. And when the, when the midwives refused to throw the babies into the Nile, God honored that. And then the problem that arose of throwing the kids into the Nile no longer was going to be something that was pushed onto God's people, but rather it was going to be somebody else. It was going to be the Egyptians. And God honors that. God honors that the, like, the Hebrews didn't turn against their own people out of fear of what Pharaoh could do, out of fear for their lives, out of fear for their families. No, the midwives honored God. They were bold. And it's extraordinary. Because you don't just stand up to the most powerful figure in the world at that time and just say no. But that's what these women basically did. Because they knew that the most powerful, the person who created heaven and earth, did not approve of this and this was not his heart. So when we look, when we are obedient and oppressed, we are blessed. God blessed midwives and blessed Israelites when they honored God. Now, I'm going to say I have never had an opportunity to stand up to a powerful political figure and say, you're wrong, this is what Christianity is all about. But I know that there are tons of us who stand up to figures in our lives every single day. And we stand up for our faith. I'll never forget the time that I was in a car ride with a couple teachers. And one of these teachers, we were talking in reference to absolute truth. And the idea, uh, is there absolute truth in moral law? Which... I, as a Christian, we as Christians know, is given by God. And this teacher had said to me, there is no such thing as absolute truth. This authority over my life had told me, basically, that there was no universal moral law. And without that, you know, there's no God. And we face problems like this all the time. We are oppressed in many different ways for our faith. We are disliked for our faith. But when we follow Christ, Christ talks about it in the New Testament. He talks about it in John 16, 33, and he says, 
do not worry because I have overcome this world. But these, these women, these women stood up to a powerful political figure. And God continued to do his work and continued to have a plan. Because what we find out later in Exodus is that God's going to deliver them through a person named Moses. Who's going to lead them out of Egypt. And who's going to deliver them from their circumstances because God did not forget them. God did not forget the Israelites. He still had a plan and purpose for their lives. An extraordinary plan, an extravagant plan. And overall, the Exodus. To lead this massive group of people that were his people out and into what he had for them, and the blessings later for their lives. So today, if you're feeling oppressed, you're not the only one. In fact, one of my favorite books is one that's written by DC Talk. They have Jesus Freaks, and they also have a devotional book called Live Like a Jesus Freak. And one of my favorite stories in this is the story of Ivan, and I'm not going to try and pronounce his last name. It's Russian, and it starts with an M, and it's just really, really strange to pronounce. But Ivan... Ivan was in the USSR. He was a part of the Soviet Union in a time where the Soviet Union, the government, a dictatorship, just one of the worst things to ever happen, did not support Christianity. <coughs> Excuse me. Not support Christianity. It was very atheist, very scientific, very anti-God. But Ivan would not listen to this government. He wouldn't listen at all. And basically, they tried to re-educate him and re-discipline him. He was 18 years old. And for any of you guys who know my age, I'm almost 18. And I, I find it interesting that somebody who was so young as Ivan in the military at the time for one of the worst dictatorships we've seen was just so abundant about his faith. He claimed to have seen an angel and that the angel was with him. And this person was told to stand outside where it was so cold that he could have died of hypothermia. And they did this for days and days. And they tried to re-educate him and get him to get rid of his faith. But he stood up to the USSR. He stood up to his officials in the army. And he said no to the point where they killed him. And he wrote to his family not to feel sorry for him because he had done the good work. People are oppressed for Christianity, even today. And if not in the United States, most definitely across the world. In Muslim countries, in the Middle East, in Southeast Asia, everywhere. People are oppressed for their faith. And in the United States, where we are maybe lucky to talk about and be open with our faith without the government persecuting us, our peers and society persecute Christianity. And there are many reasons for that. Some of it has to do with accountability. And as many of you guys know, this Saturday I'm coming out with a, another Apostate Belief Series podcast about judgment. And the thing is that People don't want to be judged by the Christians or judged by God in the Bible because they want their actions to be accepted. They don't want to have to think about right and wrong. They want to do whatever they want. And that's part of the reason I think that Christians are so oppressed is because people don't want to be held accountable where Christians understand the love and grace of God and don't want to commit sin and don't want others to commit sin and want others to know the love of Christ. But knowing the love of Christ means giving up the worldly things. I know for one, that's why I'm oppressed. That's why I'm oppressed in my school. That's why I was oppressed at a church I went to a few years ago. That's why it's been really hard for me to make friends. Is because that sits there. But Christ promises us that he sees every time that we suffer in his name. And God saw when these people were suffering in his name. If you're being oppressed today, there are three things you want to know. We're oppressed. God does not leave your situation. We are oppressed. We must be obedient to God. 
We shouldn't cave into what society thinks. We shouldn't cave into opinions and beliefs that don't coexist or even line up with what the Bible says. And three, when we're obedient and we're oppressed, we're blessed. God does not forget about you and your situation. God does not leave you behind to suffer. There's a reward for what you've done. And no treasures on earth are greater than the treasures that are in store in heaven from our Father. If you're oppressed today, I pray that God will show you his favor and that you'll be blessings in your life as you pursue God more than the things of this world. And if you struggle with that, let me tell you today that things will get better. They will get better. And even if you don't see it getting better, even after this life, things will be better. If you don't even see the light in the tunnel for even this life, you know, the people who are martyred for their faith in Christ, it got better after they were freed from this world and after they moved on. There is a reward for us, if not in this world, after this world. But God does bless us in this world. He doesn't leave us behind. And if you're oppressed today, I just encourage you to draw into what God has for you. To look to him even when you don't feel like you can or want to and like God has left you behind. The Bible has so much to say about God being with his people. Just draw into his presence. Be close to him. When you draw close to God, he draws near to you. And when you're oppressed in his name, he does not forget you. So whenever we look to people oppressed in society today for their faith, Protestants do not have it easy. And I don't care what college comes out with a report saying that. That doesn't make it true. Because we see the oppression in the Bible and we see the oppression today. Why? Because it was foretold. And Jesus said it wasn't going to get better. But we have a God who loves us. And Jesus who loves us. So I want to leave you with that encouraging word. And hopefully you'll tune in for Saturday. I'm really excited about the message that I'm going to be delivering on my podcast. And I really hope that you take today's message to heart and that it really encourages you. But until then, this is Katie Thomas on Being Bold. Thanks for listening. All of you guys have a great day and a great life.